It's Thursday, June the 11th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, the Fed's strong words about raising rates and Sweden's coldest case. First, the world in brief. Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, said it was not even thinking about thinking about raising interest rates, which it cut in March to near zero until the end of 2022. America's central bank said it would continue to buy government debt at the current pace and use its full range of tools to bolster the economy. In the fourth quarter of 2020, it expects GDP to be 6.5% lower than a year earlier and unemployment to be 9.5%. The Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, a club of rich countries, warned that the pandemic will leave long-lasting scars on the world economy. Even if a second wave of infections is avoided, the OECD expects global output to fall by 6% in 2020. The tourism, hospitality and entertainment industries are being hit particularly hard, affecting low-skilled and young workers. The man believed to have shot Olaf Palme, the Prime Minister of Sweden, in 1986, has been named. A blizzard of theories sought to explain Palme's assassination. None was universally accepted. Yesterday, Swedish prosecutors identified their subject as Stig Engström, a centre-right activist present at the site of the murder. He killed himself in 2000. The case is finally closed. Sri Lanka's general election was postponed for a second time from June 20th until August 5th because of the pandemic. It was originally scheduled for April. The health ministry has already issued guidelines about the conduct of the election, advising against processions and physical meetings and recommending a 100-person limit on propaganda meetings. President Donald Trump refused to consider a proposal to rechristen American military bases named after Confederate generals. The Pentagon had been weighing the idea in response to demands from anti-racism campaigners. Separately, Mr. Trump announced he will hold his first pandemic-era rally in Tulsa on June 19th, a day used to celebrate the end of slavery. He is not expected to require that attendees practice social distancing. Just Eat Takeaway, a Dutch food delivery firm, agreed to acquire Grubhub, an American competitor, heading off an approach by Uber Eats. The all-share deal values Grubhub at $7.3 billion. The two firms delivered a combined 593 million meals last year, mainly in Europe and America. Expect this year's figures to be even higher as lockdowners gorge on home-delivered pizza and curry. Inditex, the Spanish clothing giant that owns Zara, reported that its online sales between February and April of this year rose by 50% and by 95% in April alone as it shuttered the vast majority of its stores. Nonetheless, overall sales were still down, leading to a loss of 409 million euros, $448 million. And correction. In our news item on June 8th, we said that Minneapolis's city council had voted to dismantle the city's police force. In fact, a majority of the council had indicated their support for such a measure, but no vote had taken place. Sorry. And now, here's today's agenda. Twitchy tech. Chinese firms take refuge in Hong Kong. When considering Hong Kong's business environment, words like booming are not the first to spring to mind. Last year, the economy shrank by 1.2%. This year will be worse. 
As China promises to impose a national security law, the White House is considering revoking Hong Kong's special trading status. Yet China's tech behemoths are rushing to list there. Today is the first trading day for shares worth 21.1 billion Hong Kong dollars, 2.7 billion US dollars in NetEase, an internet giant with a primary listing on the Nasdaq. Next week, JD.com, also Nasdaq listed, might offer shares worth 31.4 billion Hong Kong dollars. Alibaba, China's most valuable firm, launched a secondary listing in November. Why the flurry? The territory's legal and financial infrastructure retains its appeal to investors. But mostly thank Donald Trump, his threat to delist Chinese firms from American exchanges, another front in the two superpowers competition, has sent them retreating, partially at least, across the Pacific. Rough Patch, Germany and China Wandel durch Handel, change through trade, was the maxim that once governed Germany's China policy. As China grew rich on the back of doing business with exporting powerhouses like Germany, ran the thought, an expanding middle class would soften the country's authoritarian edge. Angela Merkel, the chancellor, has visited China 12 times in office, but although China has been Germany's largest trading partner since 2016, precious little of the political change she sought has emerged. Mrs. Merkel is keen to retain China as a partner on climate issues and wants to sew up a long-discussed EU-China investment deal. But tensions are legion, from Hong Kong to Huawei to trade. Last week, Germany cancelled an EU-China summit to be held in Leipzig in September, ostensibly because of the pandemic. Today, Mrs. Merkel will discuss various business and investment proposals with Li Keqiang, China's Prime Minister, on a video call. Whether the summit will be reconvened remains unclear. A radical approach, Venezuela and the virus. The country's quarantine, intended to slow the spread of COVID-19, will not be renewed or lifted tomorrow as planned. Instead, it will be radicalized, according to the regime of Nicolas Maduro, Venezuela's dictator. The country will have alternate weeks of lockdown and of relative normality, with the first working week starting on Monday. The unusual on-off plan is somewhat irrelevant. Millions of Venezuelans in poor barrios ignore the rules, save for wearing, usually homemade, face masks outside. Venezuela's economic collapse has given it one advantage. Air traffic to the country had decreased sharply in recent years, meaning early infections were very low. It has reported just over 2,600 cases and 23 deaths so far. The real numbers are probably higher, but hospitals have not yet been overwhelmed. That is fortunate. The country's health system was already in dire straits, with shortages of medicine, doctors and equipment. Some hospitals even lack reliable running water. A full-blown epidemic would be catastrophic. Desperate Times – Bangladesh's Budget Today, Bangladesh's finance minister will stand before socially distanced parliamentarians to present the latest budget. Expect lower taxes and spending on health and other handouts to protect people's livelihoods. The pandemic has ravaged Bangladesh's economy. Growth, which averaged 6.5% a year over the past decade, is expected to fall to 1-2% this financial year, a 32-year low. Opportunities for Bangladeshis to send remittances, a big source of income for rural households, are disappearing, especially in the Gulf where many find work. At home, garment exports to America and Europe have been wiped out. 
The poverty rate is expected to jump to 35% this year, from 24% in 2016. To cope, the government has applied for $4.5 billion from multilateral donors such as the IMF. The money will have strings attached. For Sheikh Hasina, the Prime Minister, who has locked up rivals and governed in an increasingly authoritarian vein, the price of recovery may be closer international scrutiny. No uncertain terms. Ethiopia's delayed election. Ethiopia's upper parliamentary chamber meets today in the knowledge that both it and the government of Abiy Ahmed, the Prime Minister, are free to overrun their five-year term limits when they expire on October 5th. Covid-19 had put preparations for elections on hold indefinitely, triggering talk of a looming constitutional crisis. To avert a showdown with the opposition, the government last month asked lawyers whether postponing the vote might be legal. Earlier this week, an advisory body to the upper chamber, which is controlled by the ruling party, recommended extending the terms of all branches of government. It also advised that elections be held between 9 to 12 months after the threat of the pandemic subsides, whenever that might be. Yesterday, the upper chamber accepted its judgment, but not before the chamber's speaker had resigned, denouncing the imminent decision as unconstitutional. Her absence today is a reminder that Ethiopia's political crisis is far from over. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Edward Everett Hale, who died on this day in 1909. Look up and not down, look forward and not back, look out and not in, and lend a hand. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.